Uh, it's rare that Malcolm and I um, uh, speak before uh, our conversations on the air about uh, the format of a conversation, but uh, he and I spoke earlier this morning and felt there's no more appropriate way with all the things that we need to discuss this morning, no more appropriate way than to speak about the eyewitness account that he had uh, this week. He's just back from the state of Israel. Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He is with us live via telephone. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be back with you and with the people after too long an absence. Oh, that's uh, that's true. And whoever thought, I was just saying we were sitting here last Friday Speaking with our listeners about the beauty of Hoshana Rabba, the joy and peace, and the and the incredible joy that we were all anticipating, Shemini Atzeres, Simchas Torah, and the Jewish world is very different now. Uh, you had, early, just a few days ago, obviously, the attack happened just a few days ago. Just a couple of days ago, you had a firsthand eyewitness account to the brutality, savagery of the murderous methods of the enemy and the extent that they went through to brutalize murder and exterminate as many Jews as possible in as brutal a fashion as one can imagine. Let us begin. Please tell us about your eyewitness account in the southern part of Israel. So I went to visit some of the soldiers who were wounded I'd been in touch with many of the families. I'd been visiting people, meeting in Israel throughout. Uh, I, we were, I was on my way to shul when the first alarms in Yerushalayim set off. We did not know, obviously, it was Shabbos morning, what had happened uh, an hour earlier with the invasion, and uh, uh, but started to hear the, the explosions in Jerusalem, near Jerusalem. Uh, and as we walked to shul, and shul six times, we had a stop because of... Um, the people going to the safe room uh, and at the Imbal Hotel, the, the, the shuls were in the basement anyway, so we didn't have to really go anywhere. But the constant interruptions and the, um, the seriousness of the moment was apparent to everybody. And of course, some of the non-Jewish staff filled us in and um, they briefed me on, on what they knew. And then as soon as it was possible, after Yontav, I went to the hospital to visit some of the soldiers together with Ali Jaffe, because in my capacity as president of Great Synagogue, we were invited to come. And I met of the six soldiers I visited and spent time with, three of them were people whose family I knew. One from Montreal, whose brother was a good friend of mine, and two from the United States, whom I knew their, I knew their families as well. So there was no distance in visiting people, these young guys, and their only interest was to get well, to go back and fight again. They were in the front line in the Nachal unit that was almost completely wiped out. And they fought so brilliantly and so courageously against overwhelming odds. One of them told me that he, he fired from, there were three of them in the dining room, and they used one bullet at a time to, fight, to hold off until the, the army came finally. It was for several hours. They held off an assault by the terrorists by firing one bullet at a time. Uh, then uh, when I was meeting with them, they said to me, you have to go to the south. 
I said, look, I don't think so. You know, it's in position. He said, and, and it's closed area. And they said, no, you have to, because if you don't see it, you can't tell it. And those words resonated with me. And I said, you know what, you're right. And uh, through my friend, Mati Fried, uh, who's the head of Sada Marpa and Pico Bezer Holden from Bells, who was down on the front line every day, 12 hours, 14 hours, they give out food, they work on the conducting the bodies. And uh, with Zaka, I went down and I went first through Stay Road. And on the way, on the highway uh, near Stay Road, I started to see cars driven over the side of the roads, abandoned, doors open, windshields shot out, the front and back, which means that they were trying to kill the children. And it turned out that the terrorists drove on motorcycles up and down the highway, just shooting everybody who was on there. And they went over on the side of the roads. Then uh, I went to Beiri, and frankly, I cannot truthfully tell you what was there because it was so horrific, so barbaric, so inhumane. And people are coming into Shabbos. They have to know the truth of what, what I saw. And I was the only civilian, I think, there. And to see the courage of the guys from Zaka and Datsala and from all these groups from Saromarpa working, collecting the bodies, I saw a truck and the most the uh, outrageous part was that it was a most chewing gum truck because the, they, the companies provided refrigerated trucks because the army didn't have enough of them to bring back the bodies from the 20 locations where assaults took place. Here in Beiri, which is a community of a thousand people, they uh, a very significant part of them were wiped out. They went door to door. They just killed everybody. They went in and where their people were hidden in a, in a safe room or something, they set fire to the house. The people came out, especially children, they shot them, they killed them. And in many cases, they mutilated the bodies. And I, I don't know what, what purpose it serves. You know, it's one thing if you could say that a military objective, there was no military objective. This was a place where people from Aza came and worked. And as you know, they found now detailed maps of all these locations because of the people who came to work there gave the information to Hamas so that they could have, they knew the streets, they knew the, the passageways, they knew the ways to get across the border in great detail. This was planned for two years. And in, and in Beiri, you could see the blood on doors, you could see where, where people try to resist, where family, parents were trying to protect their children and they would kill the parents in front of the kids and then kill the kids. And the, the extent of it is almost unbelievable. You, I can't find words, and I usually don't have a problem with words, to articulate fairly that what this Amalek with these Nazis, and you know what, they were worse than the Nazis. Nazis tried to cover up their crimes. They advertised it. They left the bodies of their children on the streets so that everybody would see it. They. They, posted videos and some of the videos which and now people are denying oh the videos aren't real believe me they're real if nobody staged this while i was there they still caught another terrorist in the in beery and they they came 70 came into a community like this and just went door to door to kill people a few escaped some didn't they didn't get some people stayed in safe rooms and they couldn't get in they tried to break in the doors and they couldn't so they went moved on eventually to the next place 
they went literally across the place and you see that they also tried to smash up everything in people's houses. But what military purpose did that serve except to show the hatred, the barbaric nature of the enemy? They're, they're not human beings. And we have a, a command of you got to get rid of the evil. This is the ultimate evil They that it has to be very clear about what needs to be done, that there's no negotiations with people who will cut up pregnant women, who will do the things they did to, to people. It's time for us, one, to come together in unlimited achdut. It means all barriers, all sides. You see how many people in Israel uh, uh, say that they were, you know, meaning they were wrong in, in, in the need to confront this. How many business leaders here wrote letters to colleagues saying, I never understood it till now, and I apologize for things that I've said and I've done. And unfortunately, there are too many who are just doubling down and who, who, who stand up on our college campuses in support of brutal murderers. They march for the Nazis. They march for, for the killers. And the, the imperative first is active within our community, between our communities, that we stand with Israel, provide whatever you need. This is not a war for territory. As you know, there are no Israelis and no civilians, no military in Gaza. The complaints that, that oh, they don't have uh, bomb shelters. You know why they don't have bomb shelters? Because their governments took all the cement and used them to build underground tunnels and spend hundreds of millions of dollars. They didn't build water re- reclamation. They didn't build electricity. <laughs> and, and, by the they, way, and by the way, if they didn't attack Israel with rockets constantly, they wouldn't need bomb shelters. And that, that's exactly right. So we're we're was- going we're gonna to get to all these issues that you just brought up, uh, obviously, but I, I must go back for a second. It, it sounds like what you just said, and we're so you know, focused on trying to understand the, the landscape of all this, uh, these cities, these kibbutzim, these small towns that are just over the Gaza border. Obviously, some of them, like Stay Road, we're somewhat familiar with, but there's so many we're now just becoming familiar with. You said that as you're in Barry. This was replicated in. You use the number twenty. Is that is that approximately how many towns uh, were were in fact infiltrated? In some cases, miraculously, thank God, saved. But is it was this the effort? They actually reached twenty towns. They had plans. For it. Well, most of them are kibbutzim and and uh, little places that are that they uh, assaulted. Sometimes with a dozen, a half a dozen. Sometimes with much larger numbers. There were. More than a thousand terrorists, at least, I've heard even much bigger numbers who came across. And that obviously raises a lot of questions. But uh, um, so there were many places and it took sometimes the army three, four hours till they got to them. Uh, And even post de facto, they, for instance, the place Kfar Aza, where the bodies of children were found, some of them beheaded, that the the uh, it was only while I was in Beiri that the security people came to me and said, we, we've just opened it up because first the, the Shin Bet has to go in and the army at least go in because they have to check if terrorists are hiding there and and terrorists remain still. There are some still remaining, believe in Israel, almost, I'm sure that it's a very small number and they still try to penetrate across the border, both by sea and by land. Uh, they still continued to make efforts. While I was there, the guy came to me and I saw his face. I, I said, are, are you all right? Do you need water? And he said, no, I just came from Kfaraza. And we found, and I'm not going to give you the number of bodies that they found, 
very big number, and they saw the children, and they were strewn out publicly so that the soldiers entering would clearly see them. And uh, and so they're still uncovering places. I met with the guys who organized the music concert, and they were down there helping to load the bodies. They were down there helping with the with the soldiers. And and by the way, to see the food that was coming, how guys, you know, drove down just to bring food to them and to 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 the soldiers to bring. You know, one guy called out mincha, and. All of a sudden, guys, soldiers, not religious necessarily, just came to stay in the government with them. Oh, yes. Mikamcha Yisrael. Of course, we've been emphasizing the chesed and the tefillah gatherings, Tehillim gatherings, and so much of that unifying aspect uh, that has been happening this week. But there's so many questions we need to ask you. And the first one is the is the obvious one. Um, and, and the time for blame, obviously, or whatever, investigations is down the road. I mean, if... If if is if if modern Jewish if modern Israeli history is any indication, then obviously the prime minister uh, is, is done at this point. Um, if experiences uh, by prior prime ministers are any indication, but all that is down the road. You know what everyone's asking, Malcolm. You know what everyone's thinking. You and I rightfully sit here on a weekly basis lauding Israeli intelligence. If, God forbid, an attack takes place, we point out how nine other attacks were averted. We're, we're hearing about videos. We're hearing about intelligence information from Egypt. We're hearing about um, uh, about uh, what, what the entry point, what the border crossing, um, how it was or, were not, or was not secured uh, at the Eras crossing. Uh, everyone's asking the question of how, how, and I'm sure you, through a a fit of anger, like every other Zionist and every other Israel lover in the world, was also going through this rage inside. How on earth is it possible for this to happen uh, w- when we know the capabilities of the Israeli intelligence system? Uh, obviously, honestly, obviously, we all wrestle with this question. But as you said, I believe this is a question for later, not for now. But the the overwhelming nature of what happened, you know, on, on uh, I, I raised even on this show the question about the meeting that took place in Lebanon between Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran, and I kept asking, why is the press not focusing more on it? And I spoke about it on on our Friday morning broadcast and about the bombs that they put by the side of the road, by the side of the barrier and i kept saying why would they do it there it doesn't make any sense what they're not killing anybody not hurting but it's clear that they want to try to destroy the fence and somehow this message didn't didn't uh, obviously they saw it but the pieces were not put together they had warnings the egyptians gave them some kind of warnings about unusual activities they they did move one intelligence unit closer but they didn't believe that the exercises that had been going on along the border for some time, and they kept saying, "Oh, they're letting off steam. They're just, you know." And and Hamas kept sending messages that they wanted that peace. They wanted the, they want no confrontation, etc. While while the people, you know, were actually training. And the interesting thing is, the soldiers of the 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 killers of of Hamas didn't even know what the real uh, intent was. They weren't told until that morning because they didn't want any leaks. And so they were able to carry on this thing for so long. The the uh, the preparation, which some say took was two years in the making, that they they were able to 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 carry it off. 
because the precision with which this was done, how the trucks were ready, the gliders, the by sea, uh, the attempts by sea, which most of which were, thank God, foiled by the Israeli Navy. But all of these, uh, uh, this complicated uh, 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 plan that was implemented, that's not something you overnight. No, I, I get it. And and believe me, you know, I criticize all the people who are doing what I do, you know, which is <laughs> think they're a military expert or an intelligence expert. But when you hear about training sessions taking place a mile from the Israeli border, I don't know. I, I think in 2023, and I just think I could be totally wrong. In 2023, don't they have satellite images? Aren't they spying constantly on what's happening in that border? Like, it, 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 it doesn't it sound doesn't it seem bizarre to you? And hasn't it seemed that way for the last week that this would just get past Israeli intelligence? The answer is yes. And again, I don't second guess. I think we will wait until the time when we can have a real full inquiry. I agree with you. I think heads will roll, from, and usually people at the top are held to account. I think the the important thing now is that we not let anything come that divides people, that you know, having blame games while we're at war yeah. doesn't help. Right now we've got a... No, I hear that. I, I heard. Both, believe me, you know I hear I, that. But I understand the question. Yeah. Believe me, it's something. And the frustration and the anger. Look, you know what every Jew in the world is feeling at this point, and certainly those in Israel. I mean, you know what? I mean, I don't know to tell you. You saw it firsthand. And of course, I'm sure now that you're back in the U.S., you're hearing it firsthand from everybody here. I do feel bad for the prime minister. Again, if history is an indication, then. Uh, then um, uh, it's it's going to be uh, really uh, the 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 complete U-turn from the glorious career that he's had. Uh, but we'll see what happens. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world web and AlhamSegal.com and the AlhamSegal Network and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We're having a conversation we never dreamt we would be having today on the first weekly update after uh, after Yantif. Um, okay, you have to address this for us. Obviously, I've spent the last couple of days discussing whatever I know, whatever I've heard uh, with the listeners, but there are people in this country and probably other countries as well that are very concerned about this day of rage, day of jihad. You know, Malcolm, that when police forces, especially the ones in our area, when they're prepared for something, generally everything stays quiet. It's when, God forbid, they're caught by surprise when things go nuts. Uh, what could you tell us and what could you tell leaders of institutions and synagogues about preparing, um, uh, not just for today, frankly, but you know, tomorrow Shabbos in synagogues and other Jewish locations as well? So the um, first thing is not to panic. Second thing is to see that the police, every cop in New York has been called in, in uniform. Uh, it's a precautionary measure. There are no specific warnings or threats. There are areas of concern. This is not something to be taken lightly. I think people have to exercise caution. I do not think schools should cancel. They should make sure they're in touch with their local precinct, make sure there's security for people to, to walk home and to walk to shul. Uh, I think, um, you know, we, we should not panic people and, and give in to the, to the terrorist threats. 
the fact that the, everybody's talking about the day of rage is a victory for the for yep. the first. And the fact that some schools have canceled school, which I th- I mean, again, I'm not criticizing because obviously children's safety is the number one priority. But it does send. You have to admit, at at, at least halfway, you have to admit that it's that it sends a message to our to our children that we're capitulating to the terrorists. Yes, I do admit, but that's a decision each school and each right. parent has to make. Agreed. No, but but you you know we have to think about what the long term implications of what of what we do. That, uh, I do not believe should confront the people at these demonstrations. I would ignore them. Uh, sometimes the demonstrators make up more of the crowd than the the crowd itself. The uh, uh, you know the fact that you have these demonstrations on campuses across in in so many places in America, people standing together with Nazis to stand together with the with the worst elements of uh, in the world and say that they stand with them and that they support them and has nothing to do with the Palestinian people because this is not about them. They quite the opposite. That if they cared about him, they certainly wouldn't have launched this act knowing that what the resultant uh, response would be. Malcolm, how is it that those at the highest level of academia, the most enlightened people in our Western culture, how is it that so many of them sympathize with Hamas? Because it's the pressure from within their campuses, the woke culture. This is this this uh, warped ideologies, and I hope maybe this will force some change. It's certainly bringing about change among some of the supporters and people who, till now, you know, closed an eye to what we, we have seen. That these, this is not a war against Israel alone. This is a war against America. This is a war against Western values. This is a war against every principle and value we stand for. Because what was the attempt? They knew they weren't going to take territory. They knew that there were no soldiers in, in Gaza. This is a war of extinction. This is a war against the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, the Jewish faith, the Jewish future. So the battle that they're carrying on is a battle for every Jewish child, yep. grandchild, great-grandchild. No question about it. And we need to feel that and we need to transmit that to the future generations. All right, I'm, all, I'm just concerned about time. There's so much to talk about. G- give me your reaction to Washington's reaction, although I don't think anybody can deny that President Biden has been unbelievable. But I'd like to get your reaction to that. Maybe toss in what you thought of Putin's statements regarding what had happened. Um, and in general... I would love to, uh, talking about international, uh, re, well, this isn't a reaction issue, but you got to address for us, as everyone continues to blame Iran, and they knew about it, they funded it, they they endorsed it, what do you think practically really happened? Did these directives come from Iran? Okay, so you've asked a lot of important questions, yep. and, I, and, and I apologize if we wax, but this is so deep and so serious a yep. moment that you know every detail counts. Yep. But first of all, I think the administration response has been remarkable, the president's statements. I know there are a lot of people criticized, there's a lot to criticize, but in this case, the, what the president said himself, and even about the rule of law, et cetera, the General Austin, the, the Secretary of Defense is in Israel today, made very good statements. The, um, the uh, Secretary Blinken was there uh, now today he's meeting with Abbas and, and met with the King of Jordan, who has not displayed any kind of heroism in this. Um, and uh, uh, so, the, the but more importantly to me is the presence of now there will be two U.S. aircraft carrier groups. The USS Eisenhower is joining the Gerald Ford in in uh, in the region off the coast of Israel, one in the, near Lebanon, one in the in, in off the coast of Jordan. 
that presence is really critical. And the fact that they give a warning to others not to interfere and the the presence, you know, it doubles Israel's, the, the aircraft available to defend Israel should the need arise. And the power of these groups, this is not a single ship, you know, even an aircraft carrier coming. These are large deployments uh, of ships that accompany the, the uh, aircraft carrier. And if anybody has been on one, you know that it's like a city in and of itself. The, their presence there is a message to our allies, not just the United States, that we will stand up at a time when people were questioning America's resolve. Will America ever, they, did they disengage from everybody? This was, I think, the, a few times when we've seen this reverse message, a powerful message. Uh, so I think that that's one. Two, uh, we know that, by the way, all the support that came from the presidents of Italy, France, Germany, Britain all issued a joint statement with the U.S., a very strong statement. The fact that uh, they cut off aid, some of them, that the Eiffel Tower lit, lit in blue and white, the White House lit in blue and white. These are really unusual demonstrations, mm -hmm. the stations that, you know, I, I don't dismiss because it's it's important and it sends a message to the American people. But the the uh, this we know we only have a short period till public opinion, everything turns against us and turns against Israel and demands, you know, the escalate as the as the squad, the squids uh, said already the first day. And, uh, and Putin, uh, as you know, I think he's getting back at Israel because he felt that they've been too supportive of Ukraine. Uh, I think the, the uh, statements by Erdogan were unacceptable. And despite the fact that he's been on a charm offensive and we met with him just two weeks ago in New York and he was uh, was all light and charm and all the right things. And then it comes to the bottom line, you know, is being a, a Muslim Brotherhood a supporter, et cetera, comes out. And I think the Tunisian president's outrageous comments and some of the others as well, although we have to acknowledge the, the general support, overwhelming support in the first weeks. Again, the United Nations turns to its normal course. The role of Iran is really critical here, and Achman, you're, you're raising it as with all the reports. Number one, they fund 90% of the budget of Hamas, Islamic Jihad, they fund Hezbollah. Without their, okay, I don't think this could take place. They use Pidge as a frontline attack. This is a way to get at Israel because Israel threatens their nuclear program and the, uh, you know, the increasing efforts of states in Israel to train together. You know, all of these uh, planes have been in Israel at the soldiers, the guys from the Central Command have been in Israel training over and over again, but not because of Gaza so much, but because of, of uh, I think, Iran. Uh, and we'll see whether there anything manifests there, because you can't kill the state until you cut off its head. And the head is Iran. The head is Tehran. But in the meantime, we have to deal with their appendages and Israel has to face a multi-front war where you see the escalation in from Lebanon of Hezbollah, although it's still very limited and maybe they're just doing it for show. But I, it's not a that's not what we're complaining. You have to, Israel has more than 100,000 troops in the north as well to the troops that we have in the south uh, to to clear out Gaza. And I think they're going to go for regime change. Iran has invested billions and billions and billions of dollars there. They didn't invest in farms and food and electricity. It all went for the terror operations. And this is a way for them to strike at Israel because they can't confront them directly. They, this is a way for them to strike and believe that they can attack. And I believe 
that some of the leaders thought Israel was weakened by the demonstrations, by the divisions and the, you know, people calling for cutting aid, people calling for reserves not to show up. You know, not the return response to the call up was 120 <laughs> percent of the 120 on uh, on Russia on the second on the second on the second day Rosh Hashanah on the second day Rosh Hashanah as we were davening Mincha that Sunday afternoon 60 Minutes was profiling I saw the report after Yuntif I don't think most people saw it because it was Yuntif 60 Minutes profiled three people uh, who led the movement to make sure that all reservists you know as many as possible would make a commitment not to serve in the Israeli army if called up I have a feeling the three of them who they featured plus the 10,000 that they tried to influence all showed up to be part of this reserve movement and people around the world look how they lining up to get flights to go back to israel yeah. that people who in every country including the united states they're not enough planes to take them all back and when i went to as i drove down to the south we passed two major army bases and a smaller one for a mile i would say half a mile along the road on both sides you saw cars parked on the highways on the shoulders of the highways because the soldiers literally heard the call got in their cars as they were and drove down there, left their cars on the side of the highway to report into their bases. And I'm telling you, endless rows at both the bases that showed you know, what the response has been. And, and seeing the soldiers down there, nobody was complaining. The Haredim and the soldiers mingling, hugging, uh, the 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 unity that was that was uh, that is being demonstrated is is remarkable. But we face an enemy that is unrelenting. Speaking speaking of which, just finished the earlier point. So why has Hezbollah sat out so far? Not that I'm wishing that they enter. Because number one, they know what the retaliation response. Because in the past, you, you know, the Israel was restricted because they didn't attack the Lebanese government. Uh, but here. Hezbollah is the Lebanese government and is part of the government, and therefore there are no restrictions anymore. Every house in southern Lebanon has a living room, dining room, bedroom, and rocket room. The, the response is so it's it's very complicated. You also have, we don't know about tunnels or things that have not been discovered. The, Israel has been alert to this and working on it, but they cross now when they can use gliders to cross the fence, and there were reports this week of it. It was not true. Uh, there were some rockets, some mortars fired mostly in in open areas so we don't know if hezbollah is just showing you know perform a response to to get the pressure off of them or you know from internally or they they uh, are really preparing and and building up because the people of lebanon do not want the war and they know it right. and they know that this is going to put them in jeopardy malcolm how much time do we have you already see i'm sure you've seen it the mainstream media is already starting to feature you know people from inside gaza who are talking about the hundreds of thousands up to two million people that are in danger and believe you me we know that the last thing israel ever wants is for a civilian to be hurt and to be caught in the crossfire so to speak uh, you alluded to it before. Time's going to run out. How much time does Israel have to carry out this mission? And we haven't even addressed, and you must address this in your answer, the the issue of of uh, uh, of the hostages that are now being held by Gaza. Is that going to uh, to delay Israel's response? Are they going to act very differently because of that circumstance? How much time does Israel have? How are they going to deal with the hostages? And remember, people should remember that Israel still gives warnings to civilians to evacuate, as they're doing in, in the Northern Sinai, telling people to get out. I mean, because that means the terrorists can get out also and move 
uh, with the population as they do, and they hide within civilian populations. You know, they fire from from mosques, from schools. So when a mosque is taken out, it's because it's being used to store weapons and because it's used to, to fire because they believe they're immune to, to a response. The answer is nobody should be immune. No place should be immune. If they're used for terrorism, they're a target. That's number one. Number two, the time, I believe, is usually a week to 10 days maximum until the you know the demands for uh, de-escalation, the demands for ceasefire, both sides, both sides. Th this cannot be the case this time. Unless Israel can really root it out, we're going to continue to come back and and face this uh, enemy. Israel does will not reoccupy Gaza for a certain for any period of time because they don't want it. They got out of it. They withdrew completely once, and that was the hope would be that they build something. So you saw what they built. The, the terror the, infrastructure. Uh, situation i met with some of the families i mean you cannot there are no words you saw there was a, 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 a an immigrant uh from many years ago from either scotland or ireland a jewish immigrant who lived in one of the communities and he was notified that his daughter was was found dead and he started applauding he applauded and he said to the reporter that was my first response because I, I did not want her to be a hostage. You know what they do to hostages there. And I could not think about what the torture that she would be. So I'm relieved for her sake that she's she's not a hostage there. And you know, you saw what they did to some of the, the women and what they did to some of the men and then dancing on the body, doing the most indescribable, brutal, barbaric action. So Israel has a responsibility to try to get them out. They, they announced today that 12 of the hostages were killed in bombings. You can be sure, sure that's not the truth. There wasn't the bombings. It was because of the these guys. They, they kill people wantonly. They have children there. They have mothers with their kids. One can't even imagine the horror that these poor people are going through. I think Israel may well try to rescue some of them. But you know what? Frankly, the the, the time has come where Israel will have to do what it does to, 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 to um, get them. And at the same time, to root out the, 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 the Hamas infrastructure. And of course, we pray to the one above that Israel somehow is able to save uh, those who are still alive. Um, as you said, one can only imagine the terror and horror that they're going through. And the president of Israel pointed out yesterday, I didn't realize how important a point it was until I was pondering it in the afternoon yesterday, that... Uh, Victims from 36 different countries. You'd think the international outcry, as much as it's been, would be even so much more, especially at the United Nations. But but they're just you know they're they're not worth anything. But 36 countries, natives and uh, and one-time residents of 36 countries, were murdered last Shabbos. And uh, you know, do you talk about Israel being a melting pot? Israel being you know sort of the the site of kibbutz Goliath, and obviously that refers normally to Jews. But it is pretty remarkable. There are a lot of people in Israel for Sukkot who are faith, people of faith that are non-Jewish. Right. These are people who lived in these villages, some who were workers there, foreign workers, some yep. who were from Thailand and places like that. I think there are 20 some from Thailand, uh, including hostages from uh, various countries that, that were taken. Uh, they that the, the answer that every one of those countries should be getting up in the United Nations condemning the Hamas and, and speaking out and, and defending Israel and saying that, you know, that the international community has to get those hostages out. It's their responsibility. It is true that they were people, when you look at the list, it's really remarkable how diverse 
the, the national origins are. And of course, there's a large group of Americans and a number of American uh, citizens have been killed in the fighting and, and the, the soldiers that... And abducted. And, and unfortunately, amongst the uh, abducted. And the, you know, the unit, the Nachal unit, which was uh, hit, had quite a few uh, Americans, Canadians, and others in it. You know how many shuls in Israel that normally have hundreds of people are going to have very few this Shabbos because so many people have been called up? That's true, but people are turning out to shuls that, you know, uh, as, a, as you know, I'm president of a great synagogue. We are being besieged by people who want to help, who want to do stuff. They want to set up a blood bank, and it turned out that there's no need for blood. The response from a one-day call for blood was so great that the blood banks were all full. That they couldn't take it, and everybody is just looking for a way to respond. And I believe people will go to shul, the shamas. They they will go to to daven in Israel, and I hope in America people will, and that everybody will say the tefillah for the Medina and tefillah for Tzahal, that uh, and for the and for the captives. It's really important that we show that all of us are part of this. I don't care what your ideological yeah. or religious views are. I, I we we've emphasized, and 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 you know, I'm the first to criticize when certain groups. Do, do take or don't take certain actions, but boy, the Rosh Yeshiva who insisted the yeshivas open immediately after Shemini Atzeres and Torah, uh, the you know normally they would wait at least a week until Rosh Chodesh. Uh, the gatherings in places like Lakewood and Brooklyn and Muncie and tens of thousands—what a tremendous Kiddush Hashem and what an incredible uh, feeling of unity everyone's getting from everyone participating in their own way in these efforts. It's pretty remarkable. I- I'm going to leave it to you to end this conversation on a positive note because unfortunately I've got to say something that um, uh, that uh, is a result of all this. You know, I, I don't know if you saw it, but well, I'm sure you saw it. I didn't see it until Cholomoy Tsukis because I didn't get to it until Cholomoy Tsukis. I'm referring to Prime Minister Netanyahu's speech at the UN. And that speech made me very uncomfortable and I didn't know why I was so uncomfortable about it. He was speaking about AI and Israeli technology and Israeli's role in the future of this futuristic world, and to hop aboard the uh, the the the, um, the the Mid East, you know, future peace train of relations. You know, we're the kings of the Middle East, and we're the ones that you know. We don't hop on the train now to to establish relations with us. You know, time will pass you by, and you're going to miss an opportunity. And I was very very concerned. With that speech, it just it, it rubbed me the wrong way, and I I, I so, and I didn't know why, and I was sort of was saying to myself like, does he remember the neighborhood that he's in? Does he remember what the neighbors to, uh, of of Israel you know are most concerned with? And I sent this after the um, what happened last Shabbos. I sent this comment to an an analyst in Israel, and he writes back to me, our infighting and our arrogance their barbarism, and their Iranian support. Malcolm, no matter what it is, it could be 2023, we could be the most advanced country, we could have the most investments in high tech, we could be a leader in every single area, uh, scientifically, technologically, and in every facet of this world. The bottom line is we are surrounded everywhere on this globe by people who want to see us exterminated and eliminated, and I think it's one of the most important lessons from this episode. I think you've said it. I think you've said it all. And by the way, that to holding people to account at the Brooklyn College demonstration, the front two rows 
were guys in black hats, black coats, beards, carrying signs about Israeli atrocities. Everybody should have their picture. No shul should allow them in, not to collect money, not to, to, to even let them dob in there. That they, they, they are the allies of our enemies, and we've had them throughout our history, and we know what has to be done to isolate them and cut them off from, from the community. Uh, but on a positive note, I think that the Akdut, the, the, uh, I get calls literally from early morning to late at night about what we can do to help. People should be judicious where they give money. You know, there are a lot of pop-up charities that are coming up. Uh, you have to be careful about when it comes to military things, um, legal reasons. But it is imperative that people open their pocketbooks, give them to the is it the, can, the organizations you know are doing remarkable things. The need will be only growing as the conflict goes into the next phase, which could be in the next 24 hours or less. The the um, uh, certain least, but the the, uh, the you know the ultimate invasion is coming. That will be a whole new stage in this. Call talk shows. Use the internet. Get your voice out. Call the politicians who make positive statements. And that includes some of the leadership and, and people like um, uh, Richie Torres and Gottheimer and, uh, uh, and and our own congressmen. Some of them have really and the fact that we have uh, an speaker perhaps in, in our community who has been very supportive and and uh, out front on this. There, there has to be people who who speak up and, and make their voices heard make call talk shows you see how the other side is using it they're on the internet every time a positive thing on israel you get a slew of hostile comments coming afterwards we have to everybody has a responsibility yeah. you can't do anything but you can do everybody can help yeah it's and a me, good it's a good opportunity to, to teach our children and grandchildren who are proficient at email and social media to become advocates for israel that become advocates and to, to educate themselves to be able to know the facts, the things that yeah. we talked about. You know, people keep talking about the occupation. I mean, it's unbelievable that reporters and others, you know, go in there and talking about how Israel isolated. First of all, they have a border with Egypt. Second of all, it is they who isolate themselves. Israel gave them every opportunity, the greenhouses, everything else they destroyed. They didn't take any opportunity to build the idyllic Palestinian society. There was a naive uh, assumption, perhaps, but it was an opportunity for them, and they didn't do it. And we have to remind the people about what is the reality. All the negotiations, remember what uh, Olmert offered them, what Barack offered them, 98%, 95%. They rejected it because they don't want to see a Jewish state. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah. They don't want to see a Jewish people. Yeah, they don't want to see a Jew. Uh, Malcolm, uh, I'm Yisrael Chai, Netzach Yisrael Lo Yishaker. Let's remember who the actual leader is. And that's, of course, the one above. We pray for the safety, especially for those who have been abducted, our Jewish um, brothers and sisters. And, of course, we offer tremendous comfort to the families who are going through such agony on such a level and so many throughout Israel uh, at this uh, at this time. And kolakavod Sahal, especially as you indicated, those who are coming now from around the world to serve, to protect the state and the people of Israel. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll speak Bezrat Hashem next week. Next week, I hope to be in Eretz Israel again by the time, but I'll do a broadcast live from there and give you another update. Thank you for that, and have a wonderful Shabbos and a good Chodesh. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos.